Hi, and welcome to the Religion Bites podcast. I'm Mallory and I, and this is episode 24. The theme for today's podcast is the question, does religious studies have a problem with race? As usual, before I get started, just a quick shout out, uh, in case you haven't seen it, I also do another podcast series called Histories Inc., details of which you can find on the Religion Bites podcast website, which is religionbites.xyz. You will also find on that website links to a transcription of today's talk and the links that I'll be referring to. And also, I'd like to give a shout out, as usual, to the School of Critical Studies at the University of Glasgow, whose sound recording studio I'm using to make this podcast today. Many thanks for this. So, the question, does religious studies have a problem with race? Well, I've recently been reading Eric Sharp's classic work on the history of comparative religion, which was first written a number of years ago, back in 1972, and was updated in the 1980s. It's a meticulously researched book, and it's very well respected in the field of religious studies. It covers a wealth of history of the individuals and processes that emerged into what is now generally known as religious studies. This book has prompted two stark insights for me. First, the dominance of what Sharp refers to as evolutionary theory for much of the first century of studies of religion, largely from the year 1869 through to the 1930s, where it was the predominant theme of how people went about studying religion. Such theory was premised on the widespread assumption of scientific racism, largely revolving around the question of what made white European races, so-called races, and religion, that is Christianity, what made these distinct from others. And my second insight was that of the hundreds of scholars that Sharp mentions, only two or three of these are women, Jane Harrison and Mary Douglas in particular, and indeed, nearly all of the people cited are white men. Of course, this is a historical text. It was written 45 years ago, and it's looking back at the century before then. So one can't expect Sharp to have been critically aware in the way that most scholars are today. And perhaps it's no surprise that the foundational figures of the discipline reflected the white patriarchal society in which they lived. By coincidence, I was reading Sharp alongside watching the AMC TV series Mad Men, which brutally depicted the sexism and racism of affluent white US society in the 1960s, through the particular lens of a New York advertising agency. For me, one of the most memorable lines from seven seasons of this drama is made by a senior male account manager who has just been surprised by one of the women in the office. At that point, she was employed as a secretary when she showed her strength as a possible advertising creative. The account manager describes this using the phrase, it was like watching a dog play the piano. Alongside this, every African-American that is shown, and there were very few, particularly in the first four or so series, is part of the category of what the people call the Negro placing them very clearly in a highly structured part of 1960s American society, operating lifts, caring for children, and serving drinks with an amiable smile. This leads me to reflect on whether any reading of Sharp 
or any of the figures who helped to establish the modern institutions of religious studies, should be viewed through a similar madmen lens. That is, to presume that the 1960s were such a different world, and that perhaps things have changed since then. Such a perspective does rather hit the awkwardness and shock of the current era of Trump, together with the crusaders for free speech, such as Milo Yiannopoulos, Jordan Peterson, Toby Young and Nigel Bigger. For each of these, the idea of returning to a better age, such as that Make, Insert Your Country Here Great Again slogan, implies a resurrection of the patriarchy, racism and colonialism most people had been assuming to be a thing of the past. I'm not wishing to imply that the late Eric Sharp was a Don Draper of religious studies. Instead, I can only draw the conclusion that Sharp's book was very much of its time, a time in which the scholar of religion was by default both a man and most likely white, and a time in which race-derived theory was problematic because it was fanciful rather than because it was presumed on an offensive dehumanisation of people who were subject to the brutal violence of European colonial power. And from this, I can only hope, Trump and Peterson notwithstanding, attitudes and behaviour related to gender and race are different in 2018 to how they were 50 years ago. And to a large degree, this is true. The discipline of religious studies is not so noticeably white and male, and to a degree, what is written about and taught in the discipline is similarly so. But... Can we confidently say that the study of religion no longer has a problem with race? Now, there are various ways in which we can address this question, from the structural to the discursive and right down to the personal. And I'm sure there are plenty of people who would like to be able to give themselves a pat on the back for how far we have come in our studies. And of course, what I'm exploring is not intended to pinpoint any particular scholars or school of scholarship. The imputation of racism can be a source of great sensitivity, to the extent that allegations of racism can often be seen as more egregious than actually practising racial discrimination or racial hatred itself. As these issues of racism are very largely about social and systematic discrimination and abuse, the main point of what I am exploring is to highlight how any discussion of the context of teaching and research can and should acknowledge these structural racialising forces. From there, it is for individual scholars to give some consideration, if they see fit, to how this might relate to their own local contexts. There are indeed many scholars in religious studies who are highlighting and addressing the issues that I'm discussing here. The broad brush strokes that I'm using to present a picture of the discipline are intended to highlight the most dominant issues. And these remain despite the best efforts of my colleagues' excellent work on race and the study of religion. And so, to start on a broad level, the answer to the question is yes – there does still exist a very significant problem of systematic racism and white privilege. This is because in the societies in which the discipline predominates, particularly in North America and Europe, racism is a very significant structural problem. As Kehinde Andrews points out, race is at the heart of all aspects of culture and society in Britain. 
including healthcare, housing, policing, employment and education. When such systematic racism is to a large degree left unexamined at the political and popular level, it would be wishful thinking to assume that it is also absent from the academic study of religion. So how in particular does the discipline have a problem with race and racism? Kalwant Bhopal has argued that race has a fundamental and often largely ignored presence across the university sector, including within humanities, social sciences and thus the study of religion. Across the sector, there is systematic disadvantage for people of colour, and in particular women of colour. This ranges from undergraduate recruitment, for example, the extreme lack of black British students at leading universities such as Oxford, up to the level of professorial appointments and senior management and leadership. Thus, Calvin Bhopal argues, black and minority ethnic academics working in universities remain marginalised and regularly describe experiencing subtle, covert and nuanced racism. At senior levels, they are less likely than their white colleagues to be professors or occupy decision-making roles. The white space of the academy perpetuates and reinforces white middle-class privilege. Consequently, our higher education continues to be dominated by a white elite. This is the institutional context in which all religious studies scholars work in the UK. My general experience is that departments of religious studies are perhaps more likely to employ non-white scholars, for reasons I'll discuss below. But that doesn't mitigate the impact on institutional structures, particularly given the increasingly top-down management of departments by university administrators. Alongside these wider systemic structures of racism, there is also a more discursive question to explore. That is, although the rationale for the study of religion is very often assumed to be about increasing understanding and promoting multiculturalism, is the field itself built on racialized assumptions that are in themselves part of the wider social structures of racism and racial discrimination? In many respects, this is the flip side of the question that I am exploring alongside this. That is, to what extent as I talked about in podcast 22, is there a need for a decolonization of the study of religion? My short answer to this question here is that broadly there is both a need for decolonization and also a need to recognize that there are implicit and uncontested assumptions of race and racialization in the field. Both of these are theoretical and also very real-life issues that impact on the people who teach the subject, the students who learn, and the many different stakeholders of the education process. At the heart of this is the conceptualization of the subject of the field, that it is concerned with religion, religions, and thus the study of such religions. The subject area has developed a long way from the scientific racism of a century ago, which assumed the legitimacy of theories of racial classification based on an idea of evolution, as found, for example, in the works of Edward Tyler and James Fraser. Following the end of formal empires in the mid-20th century, 
the purpose of the discipline is no longer to serve the needs of colonial rule. However, there are a number of ways in which the contemporary concept of religion and religions has historically emerged intact from this age of colonialism, and with little recognition of the ways in which its use is in itself a form of racialization. This is an argument presented recently by Theodore Vial, and which I have also been exploring, as discussed in a previous podcast. As Vial argues, religion is a racialized category, even when race is not explicitly mentioned. For some, this may be a controversial idea. However, for most scholars of religion, the shock of such a statement is that the racialization is largely invisible inasmuch as the study of religion trades on issues of difference and yet largely ignores the colonial and post-colonial politics of race. Just because such racialization has been ignored doesn't mean that it is not a powerful and invisible part of the discourses of the study of religion. The starting point here is to begin to ask questions of how the subject matter of the discipline is racialized. That is, how do questions of race impact on us in our analysis? Beyond this is the perhaps more awkward question of how the lack of discussion of race has in itself privileged whiteness within the field, not only in terms of personnel, but also in terms of the core assumption of what we, whoever we may be, of what we are doing. Who are we and who are we doing it for? One small example of this is a basic starting point for the discipline. That is, it's often argued that the study of religion is useful because it is about getting a better understanding of other cultures and religions. Putting aside the question of what such understanding may be doing, the issue here is what cultures and religions are other and who is to gain from this understanding. In nearly every instance, the others are non-white, non-Christian others, and the we is a generic white audience. It's rarely presumed, for example, that the study of religion is for Muslim students in Indonesia to understand others, such as white Christians in America. These questions, therefore, require us to examine the conceptualization of how the discipline is taught, what should be in the curriculum, what are the aims of the teaching and also who should teach it. It's noticeable that over the past 25 years, there has been a welcome increasing tendency to recruit beyond the traditional pool of white, usually male, scholars in the field. But the appointments of, for example, Arab or Indian Muslim scholars to teach Islam, or South or Southeast Asian scholars to teach Buddhism, have in themselves occurred without sufficient recognition of the racialized issues involved. Such appointments have not necessarily fixed the underlying issues of exclusion and racism, but instead have unfortunately given specific targets for those forces. And such appointments have not yet opened up the opportunities for discussion of the issue of the authenticity of the subject matter of the study of religion. It's also worth thinking about the wider context of the study of religion. That is, how the subject is perceived in popular culture. It's common knowledge amongst those who teach and study religion that there's a considerable distance between what scholars of religion try to do and what the public thinks they are doing. 
Thus, public perceptions of the field often assume that the study of religion is related primarily to white Christianity, it's about religious practice and identity, and that the most likely purpose for study of religion is professional practice, that is, as a priest or minister. And so, the scholarly argument that the study of religion is about understanding and pursuing a multicultural society is largely ignored in public debates. This gap between the public and scholarly understanding of the field is perhaps not the fault of the discipline. However, to a degree, it hasn't been aided by a successful public engagement to capture the public discourse. And even when there is such public engagement, it tends to present the study of religion within a largely white, Christocentric and often theological and faith-based framework. But this is not about assigning fault. It is rather about recognising the local and global structural issues towards the discipline. To use Toni Morrison's very effective goldfish bowl metaphor, if religious studies is the goldfish, then popular conceptions of the discipline, which lead to political support for certain programmes and approaches, are the factors that have created this bowl for the religious studies fish to swim around in. Public engagement is obviously complex. To be successful, it requires the mediation of the message. Thus media such as television, radio and newspapers want a particular form of message and approach, that is, the white Christocentric and theological, and will either exclude or sensationalise and exoticise or racialize approaches that don't fit. Within such a context, the question then becomes about what message religion scholars would like to promote, if it is not to be the default white theological message. For a large part, the religious studies alternative for public discourse tends to be of religious literacy and engagement, tolerance and multiculturalism, which emphasises a racialized understanding of religion. In short, at present, there is little enthusiasm in public discourse or from within the discipline, for engaging public debate in terms of an understanding of what could be called critical religion and or critical race. We have yet to see a public exploration of the religions of the world that seeks to show the role of colonialism, slavery, European theories of racialization and racism, and the impact of decolonization within how what we call religion is highly relevant to the contemporary world. In conclusion to this, as I've stressed above, my argument here is not that scholars of religion are particularly racist. However, it's not unreasonable to say that there are likely to be some people within the field, as in all other areas of life, who are openly or discreetly intolerant and racist in their views, but they are a minority. And of course, there are many who are of good intention who find themselves working within a context which is perceived as benign liberal tolerance. And yet, this is part of a wider social system that is structurally racist in many ways. There are many questions to be asked about how particular structures of whiteness and privilege that are not specific to religious studies have an impact within the field. This includes, within the context of universities, the funding, regulation and monitoring of higher education, popular society and all the wider aspects of the structurally racist societies in which all British and North American scholars live and work.
Also, there is a need to begin to recognise that religious studies is not an island far away from the very real and devastating issues of race and racialization, and that the discipline's perception of itself as challenging such inequalities may not necessarily be correct, and indeed it may be a matter of wishful thinking. After all, how many introductions to the study of religion, either courses or textbooks, address or even mention the question of race, racialization, and the field's colonial basis. At present, there is a significant lack of acknowledgement of issues of race, first as a discourse that impacts on individuals working in the field, the stakeholders of religious studies research and teaching, and people about whom religious studies scholars write, and second, as a broader discourse that has been central to the development of the discursive assumptions of the field and which has largely been hidden in plain sight within the ways in which religion scholars engage with their research materials. That is, the study of religion needs to foreground issues of race and gender, both in terms of the history of the discipline, who wrote what, etc., and how that history has led to the formation of the contemporary assumptions of the field. And so there is a need to look towards how structures can be put in place to both recognise these issues, and also to develop the discipline in ways that contribute both to the academic and the popular understanding of what the study of religion has been, what it is now, and what it should be. So, that's all for today. Thanks for listening, and I hope you found the discussion useful and interesting. As I mentioned at the top of the podcast, you can get more details if you go on to the Religion Bites podcast website. That's it for now, so thanks for listening, and I'll see you again in the next episode. Bye for now.